Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a study in the book of Ecclesiastes called Unsatisfied, The Search for Meaning. We're learning that chasing after satisfaction apart from God will leave us empty. Thanks for joining us. I've thought deeply about all that goes on here under the sun, where people have the power to hurt each other. I've seen the wicked buried with honor, yet they were the very ones who frequented the temple and are now praised in the same cities that they committed their crimes. This too is meaningless. For although a person sins a hundred times and then lives a long life, those who fear God are better off. The wicked will not prosper for they do not fear God. I've realized that uh, I cannot discover everything that God is up to here under the sun. Not even the wisest person can, no matter what they claim. Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you. To get our juices flowing, thinking about the topic uh, this morning and in honor of Veterans Day, I want to start by showing you a clip uh, from one of the great all-time movies. It's the movie Glory, which was done in 1989. I'm just going to show you a scene from this movie that's going to help us start thinking about what Solomon wants us to think about together this morning. So take a look at this. I mean, as you can imagine, if you were in that situation, just how unfair that would feel to be promised to be paid $13 and you get paid $10 instead just because of the color of your skin. Those are situations we come face to face with probably almost every single day. Maybe they're not as extreme as that example. I was actually just thinking about this yesterday. I was watching my son play soccer and there was a referee who didn't understand the concept of offsides. And so I found myself just having these feelings of anger and the injustice of it all, right? These are things that all of us will experience at some time or another in this life under the sun. And this morning, as we continue our series in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes called Unsatisfied, Solomon is going to address this very thing, life's injustices. So let me invite you to turn in your Bible to Ecclesiastes chapter 8 this morning. If you don't have your own Bible, we say this every Sunday. We have Bibles provided for you underneath the seats there. We would love for you to grab one of those. If you don't own your own Bible, we'd love for you to take that as a gift for you. And you can find Ecclesiastes 8 on page 465 in those black Bibles. Now I just want to be up front with you right away this morning. Ecclesiastes 8 is going to paint a pretty bleak picture of the human condition under the sun. That is Solomon's favorite phrase for describing life here on earth, right? Under the sun. Solomon is going to address several of life's injustices. Things like the corruption of government. When the wrong person receives recognition or praise. When people get away with crime. Or when wicked people seem to prosper and righteous people don't. It's amazing to me, once again, that even though this book was written well over 3,000 years ago, that we're still dealing with the same kind of injustices today, showing again how relevant Ecclesiastes is for us. Solomon is describing a world where up is down and down is up, where right is wrong and wrong is right, and the question is, how do we navigate our way through this darkness? 
Remember Solomon's goal in the book of Ecclesiastes, if you haven't been with us, is he is goading us. He's forcing us to ask some of life's most difficult questions, questions I'd rather not ask. And the question he's goading us with this morning, I put it this way on your notes, is how should we respond to life's injustices when they come? Because they're gonna come. Well, Solomon gives us part of the answer right away in verse one, and then he's gonna unpack it for us throughout the rest of this chapter. But let's start by reading verse one on our notes out loud together. Would you do that with me? It says, who is like the wise? Who knows the explanation of things? A person's wisdom brightens their face and changes its hard appearance. How do we respond to life's injustices when they come our way? Solomon suggests we do it with wisdom. Literally, it suggests here that wisdom can turn a hard face, an angry face, into a cheerful face, even in the face of life's injustices. Of course, Solomon isn't talking about any kind of wisdom here. He's talking about God's wisdom, the kind of wisdom James tells us that we should be praying for regularly in James 1, 5. And so that's what we're going to do today. We are going to seek God's wisdom When it comes to facing life's injustices, how can we respond wisely to those things and even maintain a cheerful disposition? But let's start by doing the very thing James encourages us to do. Let's not just talk about wisdom and talk about how he says we can ask God for it. Would you bow your heads and let's do that together. Lord, you invite us, you encourage us even, to come to you for wisdom. So that's what we do right now. We need to have our minds opened with your spirit of truth and grace this morning. Give us the wisdom we need to face life when it's unfair and unjust. Help us to see this morning what it looks like to live wisely for you in this world under the sun. We pray this together for your name's sake. Amen. Well, the first injustice Solomon notices under the sun, if you're following on your notes there, is the corruption of government. The corruption of government. This has no application for us, so let's just move on to number two. (laughs) The truth is, in every time, in every history, in every country, believe it or not, there are those who are in power who are not in it for the good of the people. I know that's news to some of you. I'm sorry. The truth is, we think we have it bad sometimes, but when Solomon was writing, he's writing in a time where there was usually one person who had all the power, that person was called a king, and often these kings were tyrants. I was just thinking as I was looking at it this week, think about some of the kings that the Jewish people lived under. For example, Pharaoh, who enslaved them. Nebuchadnezzar, Xerxes, Caesar, many of their own kings, by the way, weren't much better. Tyrants. So what does Solomon, a king himself, say to us about living under the corruption of government? I'll give you a hint. It's counterintuitive wisdom to today. And it begins in verse 2 and goes through verse 9. I'll read through it and we'll come back. Verse 2 says, obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since a king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? 
Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm, and the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every matter, though a person may be weighed down by misery. Since no one knows the future, who can tell someone else what is to come? And no one has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the time of their death. As no one is discharged in a time of war, so wickedness will not release those who practice it. All this I saw as I applied my mind to everything done under the sun. There is a time when a man lords it over others to his own hurt. Now, there's a lot going on in there. It can be a little bit confusing, but let me sum it up for you. The picture Solomon is painting of this king in verses 2 through 9 is not positive. It says he does whatever he pleases in verse 3, nor is he open to suggestions or corrections in verse 4. And then in verse 9, it says he loves to lord it over others. To me, this is a picture of that old saying, power corrupts. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. So the question is, what is our response when we find ourselves under these kinds of rulers? These kinds of corrupt systems. Solomon's answer is found immediately in verse 2. And like I said, it's not very popular today. If you're on your notes, we're directed to submit to those in authority. Submit to those who are placed in authority over us. This goes way beyond Ecclesiastes, by the way. You can find this truth all throughout Scripture. You can find it in Romans 13, Titus 3, 1 Peter 2, all of them saying the same thing. Believers are to submit to the authorities who are placed over us. But let's just be honest here for a moment. When a government is like the one being described here, the temptation is to revolt We might not do that outwardly, but inwardly, we love to revolt. In fact, I'd say the main word I'd use is grumble. There's a whole lot of grumbling going on today when it comes to the rulers and authorities who are placed over us. I can easily fall victim to it. Hear me. But that is not what God counsels here. It's not the way of wisdom. Why? The reason is found in verse 2 where it says, we obey because you took an oath before God. (laughs) That idea is the same as what Paul's talking about in Romans 13 verse 1 when he writes this, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there is authority, there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. The idea here is that the God who controls the times and the seasons is the same God who controls the reigns and rules of earthly rulers. Even corrupt rulers are under the hand of God's providence and we must trust that God has placed them there for a purpose even if we can't understand or see that purpose immediately. This is not easy. We will not always understand God's purposes but listen, it gives me hope to recognize that even Jesus lived under this rule. He lived in one of the most corrupt governments of all time, Rome, where the very emperor himself declared himself to be a god. And Jesus submitted to that. You remember when the Pharisees asked him, should we pay taxes? And Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, showing us again that part of the way we honor God is by honoring those he has placed over us. It's one of the ways we witness to this world that we trust what God is doing in history. That does not mean, of course, this has to be said, that if Caesar creates a new gospel, or if Caesar places laws in place 
that would compromise our faith that he is to be obeyed. The rule on this is always Acts 5.29 where Peter says, let's read these words out loud up on the screen. We must obey God rather than human beings. I think this is important, sadly, to say today because in the future it's possible that our freedoms are going to continue to be taken away. There may be those who continue to oppose the gospel even more harshly than they currently are, but I want to say to you our response to that is not revolt, it's not rebellion, it is to be a lot more like Daniel. It's to be a lot more like Daniel who refused to compromise, yes, but he did it with humility and respect and loyalty and diligence. He was willing to suffer through wrongdoing just like Jesus himself did. For the most part though, the The lesson here is whatever government God has given to rule over us, we are to respect it, and as we can, we are to submit to it. Now, the reason why we can do that, even in the face of a corrupt government, I'm going to talk about a little bit later, but for now, it's enough to know that we're called to be law-abiding citizens and to respect those God has placed over us. So, practically speaking, this means we pay our full due of taxes, We watch what we say about those who are ruling over us, and I'm including Facebook posts in that. And most importantly, we pray. We pray for those who have been placed in authority over us, whether we agree with them or not. This is one of the ways, as I've already said, that we witness in this world that God is in control, and we trust his plans and purposes. The second injustice that Solomon notices is wrongful recognition or praise. Wrongful recognition or praise. We find this in verse 10, and I want to invite you to read that out loud with me on the New Living Translation there, because that really gets to the heart of what he notices. Would you read it? It says, I have seen wicked people buried with honor, yet they were the very ones who frequented the temple and are now praised in the same city where they committed their crimes. Solomon's talking about a funeral he attended. This guy whose funeral he goes to was a person who regularly went to the temple. To put it in our context, he was a regular churchgoer. And he received a whole lot of praise from people, but behind the scenes, he did not live a godly life. He was a total hypocrite. And yet, he's given a magnificent funeral with an eloquent eulogy, whereas the truly godly people of this city are forgotten. And ignored. Wicked people get big funerals where people stand up and say nice things about them that aren't even true. This happens even in houses of worship. And Solomon says, it's not right. This is unjust. Some of you have experienced this, right? You've been to a funeral and you're going, well, I knew a different side of this person. Even this week, I was just thinking, uh, I think Hugh Hefner died about a month ago, so I'm thinking, what did the eulogy of Hugh Hefner say? Seriously, so I looked it up, and there's good things, right? For example, as much as anyone, Hefner helped slip sex out of the confines of plain brown rappers and into mainstream conversation. The objectification of women is a good thing. Who of us haven't had an experience like this? Solomon is a lot like Asaph in Psalm 73 who nearly lost his faith 
over the fact that wicked people seem to prosper. Look at Asaph's anxiety about this. Have you felt this? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. What is the point of living an upright life when these are the people that are celebrated? This wrongful recognition or praise isn't always in the big things either, is it? How should we feel when our supervisor takes credit for some work that we did? How should we feel when we're working behind the scenes for something to take place and we're not even recognized once? These are injustices that occur every single day. It's part of life under the sun. A third injustice Solomon notices is people getting away with crimes. It can't be, can it? Look at verse 11. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. Translated, criminals get away with crimes, which only encourages more criminals to commit more crimes. Here we get a picture of the total depravity of the human heart. If evildoers were just punished right away, then people would be deterred from doing wickedness. But justice, oh, it's so painfully slow. And some people think they can get away with murder, both literally and figuratively, and guess what? They do. If there are never any consequences, Solomon says, then why not go ahead and just sin? What is the point of living an upright life? And then finally, related to this, in verse 14, Solomon talks about, number four, the fact that the wicked prosper while the righteous don't. This is something he observes under the sun. Have you? Verse 14, there is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. Are you depressed yet? I mean the injustice of it all. If God were really paying attention, shouldn't the righteous be the ones who are prospering and the wicked the ones who are not? And yet, often it seems to be the complete opposite. Bad people get what good people deserve while good people get what bad people deserve. Cruel dictators kick out free governments The man who robs investors of their inheritance gets a huge bonus while those very investors lose their job and their homes. Suffering pastors are put in prison while the persecutors of the church grow in their cruelty and power. Let me bring it home a little more closely. The student who cheats on the exam gets an A and you get a C minus. The worker who stabbed you in the back gets the promotion while you stay at the same pay grade. Wicked people prosper. Why? This is a picture of life under the sun. It ain't pretty. In fact, it's downright bleak. And so looking back to verse one, I wanna say, how can we honestly have a positive outlook? How can our faces still be cheerful in the face of these kinds of injustices every day? How can we live wisely? Well, intermingled throughout this text, Solomon gives us three reasons why. Three reasons that we can still live a joyful life. So let's talk about them. The first way to live wisely is to fear God 
because his justice is certain. To live wisely is to fear God because his justice is certain. Listen, no matter what wickedness occurs here under the sun, God's going to have the final say. God will have the final say, that is certain. This is made clear in verses 12 through 13. Although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, I know that it will go better with those who fear God, who are reverent before him. Yet because the wicked do not fear God, it will not go well with them, and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. Solomon says the key to keeping our hearts right and our heads on straight is to fear God. No matter what you see, No matter what you experience, fear God. It will go better for you. This theme of fearing God is one of the keys to understanding the book of Ecclesiastes. It's all throughout, including the conclusion. Jeff talked about it last week. When the Bible talks about fearing God, it's not talking about cowering before him. I like how Michael Eaton defined it. I even put this up on the screen. I love it. The fear of God is the awe and holy caution that arises from realization of the greatness of God. I love that idea, that concept, holy caution. God tells us several times, you know, be holy as I am holy. That's what fearing God is, living according to God's standards, not the world's standards, because he's a holy God. To live a God-fearing life is to recognize God has bought me at a price. And he has called me to live differently. If I could just make the fear of God as simple as possible for you, it's obedience. It's living according to what you say you believe. That's all obedience is. Living according to what you say you believe. We live a God-fearing life when we trust that what he says in that book you're holding in your lap there is true and we live according to it. That's fearing God. And the reason we do that, even in the face of injustice, if you're on your notes, is because we know God knows all and sees all and all will face judgment. God knows all, he sees all those things and all will face judgment. It may not come in our lifetime, but the judgment of the wicked is in God's hands. So it's better to live a God-fearing life, Solomon says. Peter picks up this theme in 1 Peter 4, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they, talking about Christians, do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised, now he's talking about the world, that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living. Why are they surprised? Because they believe life under the sun really is all there is. And they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. We don't like talking much about judgment. I know I don't. But life under the sun makes no sense without it. Solomon would be correct in his point that everything is meaningless. We can't say things like God is good and just and true without also this idea that all people will stand before him one day. And as that verse says, give an account of our lives. This is something we all know as parents. There's consequences to actions. 
There's consequences to actions. However, if there's a final judgment, then once again, the wise way to live is fearing God. To live according to his way and his rules because we have to consider all of our life here under the sun is going to be placed before him. And we'll give an account for it. Now for the Christian, this should not be a day of fear. Because the gospel teaches us that what Jesus did is he entered into our situation and he took the judgment that we deserve for all of our injustices that we've done. And he took them upon himself. No, this is going to be a day of great reward. Maybe an illustration would be helpful. I didn't show you the rest of that clip from the movie Glory. Let me show it to you now. Friends, that's the story of Jesus. Stepping into our situation, taking all of the injustices of this world upon himself. And because he did that, on the day that we stand before him, we will be declared righteous, not because of what we have done, but because of what he has done. And we will be rewarded. All the ways that we've tried to live faithfully for him, we've lived that God-fearing life, it will be laid before him, and he will say to us, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Some people wonder, why doesn't God just mete out justice now? I wonder that. Just end it, please. The answer in the Bible everywhere is it's because God is patient. He doesn't want to lose anybody. Exodus 34, 6 says he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Paul says God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. And so if you're following on your notes, God's justice may be delayed, but it won't be denied. God's justice may be delayed, but it won't be denied. Those who persist in their sin without ever turning to the Lord Jesus Christ, without ever receiving the invitation to life in his kingdom, are not getting away with anything, including corrupt kings and rulers. Mortal power will pass away sooner than later. The wicked powers of this world will face judgment. In fact, Solomon says their days will not lengthen like a shadow, meaning Like we've learned all throughout this book, our lives are like this. They're here one moment, they're gone the next. They're vapor, they're mist. It's one of the lessons of Ecclesiastes. Life under the sun is like this. But life under the sun is not all there is. That's why we can keep our heads on straight. That's why we can keep our hearts upright. This world is not all there is. The wise person knows that during this life where injustice occurs, it may look like the wicked prosper, but that's only an illusion. It's a vapor. One day, all the thrones of this world will be gone, and there will be one throne that remains, and sitting on that throne will be the reigning, ruling, risen King of kings and Lord of lords. His name is Jesus. And of this Jesus, Isaiah said these words, this is the kind of government I want to live under, I don't know about you. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is why we can live wisely 
even in the face of injustices in this world, don't envy the wicked. Don't envy the wicked, even when they seem to prosper. The day is coming when Jesus Christ will make all things right. Second way to live wisely in the face of life's injustices is to enjoy today instead of worrying about what you can't control. Have you been with us throughout Ecclesiastes? Raise your hand if you've been in this series. Have you heard this yet? Enjoy today instead of worrying about what you can't control. This is a very familiar theme in Ecclesiastes. Let's read verse 15 on the notes there out loud. It says, So I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of the life God has given them under the sun. Listen, are there going to be corrupt politicians under the sun? Yes. Are wicked people going to be praised when they don't deserve it? Yes. Are people going to continue to get away with crime? Yes. You can either let that ruin your life, or you can choose instead to enjoy the everyday things of life as God's gift to you. That's one of the main points of this book, right? As one person I read this week says, you don't take the Christian life to be like sitting on a block of ice, drinking sour milk as you wait for the 5 a.m. train, do you? Sadly, too many people do. We are to choose joy. That means thanking God for your daily bread and drink. Thanking God for the work that he's given you. Thanking God for the relationships that he's placed in your life, choosing gratitude, choosing joy. One of the keys of living wisely is knowing that true joy is not passive. We so think it is. We just think if my life would line up, all the stars would line up in order, then, then I would be a joyful person. The Bible says joy is a choice. Joy is a choice we make. If you're in your notes, joy is God's gift and can be chosen even in difficult times. That's why Solomon says, I commend you to the enjoyment of life. Choose joy. True enjoyment, true contentment does not come from having everything the way you think it should be. No matter what you're going through, you can choose to have joy. If you've ever been on a short-term mission trip, you've experienced this firsthand. The first time I did it was in high school. I went down to one of the poorest cities in Mexico. And I thought I was going to bring some joy to these people. And I learned a valuable lesson. Though they had very little according to what the world would describe as a lot, they had way more joy in the Lord than I did. As a 16-year-old high school student, that really made an impact on me. Here I was with everything that I could possibly want that the world tells me will make me happy. And here are these people with almost nothing. And yet the joy they had in the Lord was contagious. Why? Because they're doing what Solomon says here. They're grateful for the things that God has given them. Like a meal. Like friendships like the body of Christ. To live wisely is to choose joy. And then last but not least, to live wisely in the face of life's injustices is to trust God's sovereign wisdom. To trust God's sovereign wisdom. At the end of this chapter, Solomon comes to this conclusion about life, starting in verse 16. 
When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the labor that is done on earth, people getting no sleep day or night, then I saw all that God has done. No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all their efforts to search it out, no one can discover its meaning. Even if the wise claim they know, they cannot really comprehend it. Solomon says there's going to be things that happen in this world that you simply won't understand. Are you okay with that? The person who has to know everything or thinks they already know everything, guess what? They're destined for disappointment because God's ways are higher than our ways. And his thoughts are beyond searching out. The wise way to live is to trust the sovereignty of God. There's things that are going on in this world that only God knows about. And only God can do something about it. I was trying to think of an illustration. Think about a football team. The offensive coach of a football team doesn't pull the defensive team aside and say, well, here's all the offensive plays that you need to know. No. The defensive coach tells the defensive players all the plays they need to know. They don't even need to worry about what's going on on offense. They're just told to do their job, and in the same way, we can't possibly know all that God is doing. But he wants us to know some things. And among those things is that even in the face of life's injustices, you have a God who can be trusted. He is a loving father who cares for his children. He will never forsake us. He proved it with his son. We bank on that. We trust in his sovereign wisdom. Tommy Nelson uses the illustration of one time he was flying in an airplane, and all of a sudden the plane went in this huge bank of clouds, and you couldn't see anything. You couldn't see a foot out of your window, and he started freaking out a little bit. And this was in the days where the pilot's doors were open. He was wondering, like, is this pilot freaking out too? So he looked into the cockpit, and the pilot was like as calm as day. And so he asked him, how can you be so calm when you can't even see where you're going? And he pointed him to the panels on the airplane, and he goes, it's because of these. I know exactly where I am, and I know exactly where I'm going, even though I can't see a thing. Friends, can that be said about us? Even though we can't see a thing sometimes, we can't understand what God is doing, will we learn how to fly by the panel? Well, we learn to trust in what we know, not in how we feel. Living wisely is having faith in your loving father who gave up his own son to be reconciled to you, to take the judgment that I deserve for all of my injustices, where he proved his lasting love to me once and for all. And so the idea here is fly by the panel. Obey what you know to obey. Enjoy what you know you can enjoy. Live a God-fearing life, and for the rest, wait. Wait on the timing, wait on the purposes of God. When life throws you in a bank of clouds, be sure you fly by the panel. Trust that he will lead you home. As we close this morning, Solomon's goading question might look something like this if you're on your notes. Will I choose, notice that word again, Will I choose to live wisely even in the face of life's injustices? Let me make it specific for you. Will I choose the fear of the Lord? Will I choose obedience? Will I choose enjoyment of God's gifts that he's given to me this day? And will I choose to trust him 
even in the uncertainties of life. Friends, going all the way back to verse one, the promises, that is when our faces can truly be brightened, living wisely and trusting Christ. Let's pray. Well, gracious God, I am so aware that you don't have to include questions like this in your word. Who are we? And yet you have, and we're grateful for it. These are questions every single one of us have struggled with. And we're thankful today for the wisdom you've given us. That the reason we can continue to live wisely, even in the face of life's injustices, is because you are gonna make all things right. And so we live today for that day. And part of that means enjoying what you've given us. Instead of worrying about what we can't control. It means submitting to those who are in authority and more than submitting, praying for them. And it means trusting that even when we can't see what you're doing, that you are trustworthy. So we pray that you would impart this wisdom. Wisdom isn't just knowing about things. Wisdom is putting them into practice in our lives. So help us to be people who do that as we wait for the day when you return and make all things new. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.